0: This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We are in week number two of a message series here called Praying for Breakthrough. This is one of my favorite seasons of the year because we are on a march up towards Easter two weeks from today. I'm so excited about getting to be a part of my first Easter here at Saddleback Church. And I want to encourage you, as we're getting ready for Easter, this series is vital for us to lay the groundwork, to be praying for what it is that God's going to do through us together. Last week, we launched the Pray 24-7 initiative. Uh, There were close to 1,000 people that signed up to pray on an ongoing basis around the clock. So I just want to say, way to go and celebrate you. And when you sign up, actually you can sign up today through the digital program, if you didn't do that, uh, at saddleback.com slash next. You can sign up for a time once a week. Uh, There are slots there still available. And our prayer is that one day we would be praying around the clock. We're very close to that. And we're going to do this until Jesus returns, whenever it is. As long as we're here, we're going to keep praying around the clock asking God to move. The point and the purpose of this is praying for breakthrough in our world that we would partner with God in bold prayer uh, for the great commission to be accomplished in our generation. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't taken that step, to do so. Also, just a couple things before I get into the message. I want to remind you, as we've already mentioned in our services, uh, Easter is the best weekend to bring a friend or a family member to church. Uh, There's power in your invitation. My life has changed because... Somebody walked across the street and invited my mom to church when she was a little girl. And so your invitation literally could change a whole generation of people. So I'll be praying with you as you're inviting friends and family to church. And then that weekend, we're going to celebrate with baptism at all of our campuses, in our services. We're going to be celebrating. And if you've never taken that step, uh, we would like to invite you to get baptized on Easter weekend. Easter is a great moment with the resurrection of Jesus celebrating for us to go public with our faith. So today you can take that step. If you go to the digital program and you sign up there or just say that you're interested, there's a baptism button, you click that. I shot a video this week that will go directly to your inbox. Uh, you'll get to see the inside of my office and what I look like in the middle of the week. And it's not very ple- pleasant. I have a hat on and look a little rough, but it's a good video. So you should check it out. Uh, but it's going to be a great weekend for Easter. Now, today, as we are in week number two, let me share with you where we're going with this series. So last week, we looked at praying for breakthrough on a personal level. Uh, what does it look like to get breakthrough in our hearts, in our minds? We looked at Psalm 139, asking God to search us and show us what's on the inside. Somebody said to me yesterday after the message, they didn't like that search me and show me. They wanted search my spouse and show my spouse. And I can relate to that. Like, I want God to reveal everybody else's problems, not mine. We'll talk about that today. Uh, But next week, we're going to look at praying for breakthrough in our mission or making a difference with our lives. That'll be the final week of this series. But today... We're going to focus on praying for breakthrough in our relationships. Praying for breakthrough in community, in our relationships with one another. And isn't it true for all of us in our relationships? We've got a lot of different circles. You know, you have your friends, you have family members, you have coworkers. But all circles of relationships, there are moments where we get gridlocked. There are moments where we get at odds with one another. This happened to me recently. So I got back from a small trip that Stacy and I had been on. We were gone for three days. And my kids, two of them were with one babysitter, another was with another family. And we came back together. And you never know when one child tells on the other what the motivation is. So sometimes I get locked into this and take the bait. Like I I just go right with it. So one child says to me, says, "Uh, Dad, you might want to look for your headphones while you were gone. Cademan had them on. And so I went to look for my headphones, and my headphones are normally in my car, and I couldn't find my headphones in my car. And so as soon as I got to my car, they're not there. I sent a text message to Cademan, and I'm like, Where are my headphones? All caps. Um, I can't find them. And he responds to me, Well, are they in your car where they normally are? And I said, No, they're not there. I know you have them. And he responds back to me, Well, I didn't have them. I don't have them. Uh, Why don't you check another spot? And I said, They're not in my car. I know they're always in my car. And I'm not taking you to football tomorrow. He goes to football in the middle of the winter, but I'm not taking you to football tomorrow if I don't have my headphones back. And he sends me a picture of himself. He's at the gym. And he said, These are the headphones I've been using all week. I haven't used your headphones. So now I'm a little bit conflicted because I have in my mind, One child told me for certain that he had my headphones on and he's denying the fact that he's had my headphones on. So I just keep going. I'm like, I know I'm just gonna press him. He's gonna let me know that he has my headphones, and there have been many times before I've had stuff taken, so I'm sure in this moment I'm right about this. He's wrong. So I keep going. I'm not taking you to football. He sends me another picture of himself with the same headphones on. I don't know where your headphones are. Have you checked other places? And I'm like, I don't need to check other places. I know where my headphones were. They're not there. I'm certain I've left them in my car. They're not there. And so finally I tell Stacy, and she's like, well, why don't you check in this drawer in the bedroom. So I go to my bedroom. I have a drawer at the foot of my bed. I pull it out, and would you know, my headphones were there. So I picked up my headphones, the big ones. I took them to his bedroom and stuck them in his bedroom. (laughs) Just kidding. I didn't do that. So my, my next text back to him was, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And thankfully he forgave me. Anybody ever had a moment like that before in a relationship? All of our relationships at moments, we have friction with one another. And that friction can lead to frustration. And if we're not careful, that frustration eventually can lead to a fragmented relationship. And sometimes those fragmented relationships end up in generations of families being separated from one another. All along the way, there were frustrations that could have been dealt with in a way that led to breakthrough in a relationship. You and I can have certainty whenever we are working and praying towards unity in our relationships, we can have certainty that we are praying in the direction of God's will for our lives. In John chapter 17, I want you to see Jesus' words. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying right before he's about to go to a cross. And he knows at this moment he's about to pay the price for the sins of the world. And in that prayer, Jesus would say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way for this to happen, let it be. But I surrender to your will. And at the same time, as Jesus is contemplating his crucifixion, being crucified, he's praying for something very specific. And I want you to see what he's praying for. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. So Jesus is there in the garden. He's praying not just for his disciples, but all the generations, all the years to come, all the families, all the nations that would choose to follow him. And the prayer that Jesus is praying is for unity, that we would be one the same way that he and the Father are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. So the greatest testimony the church has is unity. It's when we love one another the same way that God loves us. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is Jesus' prayer for you. This is Jesus' prayer for your marriage. This is Jesus' prayer for his church. This is Jesus' prayer for your family, your extended family, your immediate family, that we would be one. So today, this message perhaps may be the most important message somebody hears for years. This message has the power today to heal a marriage that's on the rocks, This message, if we would hear it and let it sink into our hearts, has the power, what we're going to look at today, has the power to bring generations of families back together. So I have in mind different categories of people. I have some of you in mind that you're in an extended family, maybe parents and children or siblings, and you haven't been talking to one another for decades. Perhaps maybe you haven't talked since you got in a fight at a family reunion and there's been years, there have been moments, birthdays that you've missed, deaths that you haven't been a part of a funeral because there's a separation or a divide in a family. And I have in mind some of you who are in marriages where maybe there's a conversation that has gotten to a place of bitterness and there's this division that is happening between you and your spouse And I have in mind some of you who are at places of work in businesses or in in groups of people. Maybe perhaps it's a community group of people. But there's something that happened that deeply offended you and you're carrying this wound. And God wants to use today as we talk about praying for breakthrough to lead to freedom for you. To lead to amending of relationships. I believe today could be a day of breakthrough for you. Your enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy you. The devil is trying everything he can do to separate us from one another. But when we pray, when we join with God, everything that God is doing, he is working towards bringing us together, reconciliation with one another. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to journey together today through a great story. And this story, I'm going to clarify on the front end, it's not about reconciliation with relationships it's a story of jesus performing a great miracle a great problem that needs jesus to intervene in mark chapter 9 these principles in this story can apply to our relationships and lead to breakthrough when it comes to praying for breakthrough jesus is up on a mountain with peter james and john it's the story called the mount of transfiguration And I love this story because Jesus goes up and he transforms on the Mount of Transfiguration. His clothes change white, his glory is fully revealed. Peter, James, and John are there and shows up from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. So Moses, who represents the law, Elijah, who represents the prophets, are there with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are there. They're watching this whole scene unfold. And I can so relate to Peter because Peter was the disciple that often said stupid things, like things he shouldn't have said, put his foot in his mouth. And uh, he probably had memorized Bible verses that my wife often tell me about, like the proverb that says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Uh, also the proverb that says, even a fool is thought wise if they keep their mouth closed. Um, but Peter, Peter and myself and other extroverts like me, sometimes we just say things without thinking them. And Peter said that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, would you like me to build a tent for you? Like, okay, that'd be awesome if you could just build us a tent. Jesus needs a tent on the top of the mountain. And the Bible says Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. So he's like, I don't know what to say. I'll build you a house up here, Jesus. That'd be awesome. Don't know where I'm going to get the supplies, but it's going to be a cool house. So they come down from the mountain. And when they get down the mountain, there's chaos. So there's this problem that has broken out at the bottom of the mountain. And this is the way that life often works. that You're on a mountaintop, and then you go to a valley. And uh, oh, that just sounded like real Midwestern. My Michigan accent came out when I said valley. Some, it happens to me every so often, like every thousandth word. Valley. Okay. Anybody else from the Midwest? Yeah. Valley. That's how they say it in the Midwest. It's valley. So they come from the mountain to the valley down below. And when they get there, there's all this chaos. And this is the way life works. So sometimes you have a mountaintop experience with God, and then you go into a deep valley. And when they come down, it says, when they came to the other disciples, in verse 14, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them as soon as all the people saw Jesus. They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So there's a problem at the base of the mountain. Now, there are different groups of people I want us to see. First of all, there's Jesus, his disciples. There are the three that have been with him. There's the 12. There are the religious leaders. And then we're going to see a group of people or two people in particular that have come to Jesus with a problem. So the problem that we're going to see is a father who has a son who's possessed by a demon. And that demon is ruining his son's life. It says the crowd was overwhelmed with Jesus and they rushed towards him and then Jesus responds to all of them, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd, a crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, so he wanted to get his son to Jesus. Notice this. So he, he's trying to get his kid to get healed by Jesus because he's heard that Jesus is able to heal. So I've brought my son to you, but unfortunately your disciples were in the way of my son getting to you. So my son is possessed by a demon, but I couldn't get to you. Uh, he's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. So there is... And demon or the devil who is bombarding this child, frustrating him, it says whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He phones at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And I can relate to the disciples in this story because they're trying to fix the problem, but their effort is not fixing what is in front of them. Have you ever had a moment like that where like you're trying to fix a relational problem, Or you're trying to change something in your life, and your effort is not aligned with God's power. So it seems like you're trying so hard to do something, you've tried to do it over and over again. You've tried to get a healing in your marriage. You've tried to get breakthrough in your relationship with a child. You've tried to resolve a conflict at work, and it's going nowhere very fast, and you're gridlocked. And that's the case here. There's a child... The problem is not getting resolved. The disciples' effort is not working. And Jesus shows up. And when Jesus looks at his disciples, I want you to notice his words. He says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? This is Jesus just being honest. I'm, I've had enough. Like, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Because I can solve the problem. The first point when praying for relational breakthrough is to bring the right problem to the right person. Bring the right problem to the right person. And this is important because the way you define a problem will determine how you approach the solution, where you look for the solution. So here's what happens in our relationships when it comes to our arguments and disagreements and friction relationally. We find ourselves at a place of friction And our natural tendency, the first tendency, is when you're in a problem with another human being, the first thing to think of with the problem, who is the problem in the situation? It's almost always immediately the other person, is it not? It's like when you're praying last week, search me, show me, no, search my spouse, show my spouse. It's like, it's it's their problem. And if we don't define the problem correctly, we'll go all the wrong places to get solutions. So Stacy and I, when we were early in marriage, we heard this phrase and we have used it over and over and over again. And it's a little phrase that goes like this. When we're in a conflict with one another, we just look at each other and we say, same team. We are on the same team. You might wanna look at somebody right next to you now and say, we're on the same team. I know we were arguing on our way to church. I know you don't wanna go to the same place I do for lunch. I know we've had some conflict, but we're on the same team. And there's something about clarifying in a relationship. Like, we, we're trying to solve a problem. We are, not the, we are not the problem. The problem actually is between us, and we need to solve the problem. It changes the way I address the problem when I understand that the other person is not the problem. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying in this moment. Because I know that there are, there are moments where people find themselves in an abusive relationship. And that's not what I'm talking about here. In fact, there are some times where you've gotten into a relationship with somebody who is destructive in the way that they treat you. And in those moments, we need help outside of the relationship. You've tried to resolve it. You've gone through lots of pain and frustration. And our church, we wanna do everything that we can to help you. In fact, if you're in one of those situations now, we would love to know, saddleback.com slash care. We've got some resources there to help you if you find yourself in one of those situations. And we would love, love, love to come alongside of you. Now if you are in a normal conflict, a typical conflict that's not an abusive situation, the kind of stuff that we find ourselves in so often, where selfishness and pride get in the way, I wanna remind you that your prayer in this moment to ask God to help you see the situation correctly is crucial. This is a prayer that you could pray, Lord, help me see the real person and the real problem. Help me see the person that's in front of me the way that you see the person, and help me see the real problem. Help me see the real person and the real problem. And when I begin to pray this way, I begin to see that person differently. I begin to see them with God's eyes. And what I'm doing is I'm asking God to give me his perspective. I'll talk more about this in a moment. Our natural tendency when we get into conflict with one another instead of going to God in prayer instead of going to the person to solve the problem sometimes our natural tendency is to talk about the problem all around with people who cannot help solve the problem. Let's go to small group and tell them about how we're frustrated with me 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 you know. Let me let me go to let me go to my place of work and get in a cubicle with five people and tell them how she treated me or he treated me. And isn't it true that when we do this, we're looking for friends to agree with our perspective? I just want somebody to validate how I feel. And what the Bible calls this, when we involve people who are not a part of the solution in the problem, the word is gossip. And gossip is destructive. It destroys families. It destroys marriages. It destroys businesses. Proverbs 17:9 says, Whoever would foster love covers up an offense. Whoever fosters love covers the wrong, but somebody who repeats the matter separates close friendships. So gossip is like taking fuel to a fire, taking fuel to a conflict and pouring on it, and it makes it worse. It multiplies it. Proverbs twenty-six twenty says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. So there are moments... In businesses or small groups or families, when you take out gossip, so much gets resolved. You might write this line down or circle some of these words because I believe they're in your notes. People who run their mouths make messes in their relationships. Don't make eye contact right now. This would be a really bad time to look at somebody. Just look at me right now. But we all know somebody who runs their mouth all the time and they make messes. In their marriage, they make messes at their place of work. They make messes in their dorm rooms. Gossip is a destructive sin. It's a destructive sin. It requires more intentionality to handle things in a godly way. It requires more patience to handle it in a way that honors God. It requires more clarity and more prayer in our hearts, our minds. It requires a different approach, but it is so worth it to do it the way that God wants us to do it. Matthew 18:15 and 16 is Jesus' words to us about taking a problem to the person. He says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and post their fault on social media so everyone can seize, and then everyone will listen to you, and you'll have won over the whole world. Oh, sorry, let me read that again if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you if they listen to you you have won them over but if they will not listen take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses y'all one of my favorite questions when somebody comes to me with an issue on another human being it's so simple have you talked to them i love that question and the, the deer in the headlights look, like this is a genius solution I've never thought of before. Have you talked to that person? I wanna encourage you to try it. Before it comes out of your mouth this week, just ask the question, have I talked to them? Have I talked? I've been doing a lot of that in conflicts when I talk to people, just you two, you, you got a problem with her, you guys should just talk. It's brilliant, try it, see if it works. And sometimes we will go everywhere but that person. But Jesus gives us such a simple solution. Go directly to them. Now, sometimes when we go to that person, it doesn't work. And we try, and we have to take one another person along. Sometimes you go, you take another person along, it still doesn't work. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. But I want to encourage you, if you have not first gone to that person, if you have not taken the step to try to clear up the conflict Uh, my friend, it is a very, very simple solution that could change your relationships. Now, the conflict or this problem as it's brought to Jesus, it says they brought the little boy to him and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. So the devil in the boy that is causing him to roll around is the problem. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, Jesus, uh, the dad answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And I want you to see this, this prayer to Jesus, this question to Jesus. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want you to circle in your notes, but if you can do anything. And sometimes when it comes to prayer, we question God's ability to help. We question God's ability to intervene in the problem. This man who comes to Jesus with the issue. He wants to know, if you are able, will you please intervene? Not realizing in his mind, he is standing before the one who has spoken the stars into existence. He is standing before the one who will be crucified for the sins of the world, who will conquer sin and death. If you are able, can you please heal my son? And Jesus looks back and says, if you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who trusts in me. And sometimes we give up hope. And part of the reason we give up hope is because we're trying in our own power to solve the relational issue. And Jesus looks at the boy, or immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I love this prayer because it's the father saying, I need my perspective to be shifted. I need you to give me faith. And it's a second point, which is being open to a new perspective. This father was open to seeing it Jesus' way, being open to see it from a different angle, to see it from a new perspective. So a prayer that I can pray in this is, Lord, give me faith to have your perspective. Give me faith to believe and see through your eyes. And when I pray this way, God will often shift my perspective. Sometimes when I am praying for perspective, I'm praying for the other person to have perspective, but I'm asking God to give them my perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, help them realize I'm right and they're wrong. And there's a verse in the Bible, actually, where somebody did this with Jesus. Luke 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd comes to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Coming to Jesus like with this grand problem, Jesus, I need a lawyer. One eight hundred, Jesus, fi- fix my problem. Give me half the inheritance. Tell my brother to fix to give me half the inheritance. And Jesus replies, "Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I didn't come to be an attorney." Jesus is saying, and then he said to them, "Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possession." So notice. What Jesus is doing, he is switching the man's perspective to say, you've been looking at your brother who won't divide the inheritance, but what I want you to do is look at your own heart that is contributing to the problem. I need to be open to a different way of seeing. Sometimes the solution is right in front of us. Sometimes what we're looking for, we're looking all these places for solutions, and right in front of us is the solution. This last week, I was um, looking for soap. And I couldn't find the soap anywhere. It was not in the place where Stacy normally puts the soap. So I text Cademan and I said, Cademan, where's the soap? You're not going to football tomorrow if I don't find it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I'm looking all over for the soap and Stacy is, she's in the other room and I holler out to her. I'm like, hey, hey babe, where's the soap? I can't find the soap. And she said, it's, it's right in front of you. And I'm like, no, it's not right in front of me. And she goes, look down. And I looked down, and right at my feet was the soap, right in front of me. The thing that I was looking for, now I would say it wasn't in the place it normally is, but the thing that I was looking for was right in front of me. And oftentimes, the solution is a matter of perspective. So when I pray like this, I'll give you examples of how God has shifted my perspective. There was a moment where I was in a conflict, pretty difficult conflict to navigate and seemed like all of my effort didn't solve the conflict so I, I was praying through it. And as I was praying through it, I felt like the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, showed me the thing that I'm trying to, te- to teach you, Andy, is forgiveness in a way that you've never experienced your life, in your whole life. That through this situation, I wanna take your ability to forgive other people to a whole new level And when I began to see the conflict through that lens, it shifted my prayers. And as I began to pray for that other person on a daily basis that I was in a conflict with, God began to change my heart towards that person and give me compassion towards them. I had another moment I was praying through a conflict, asking God to help another person see it my way. And I felt like the word God gave to me was, Andy, I want you actually to see this conflict as a test. Because in this conflict, I'm testing your character, your relationship skills, your ability to love other people, and I want to grow you through this conflict. See, when I pray like this, God gives me a different set of eyes to see. And if I'm open to a new perspective, it shifts the situation. There are three phrases that somebody told me one time, Stacey and I both, told us, in marriage, will change your marriage. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Can we say those together, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. How many of you would acknowledge that first phrase is the hardest phrase of all of them right there? Yes, okay, eight honest people at Lake Forest today, all the campuses are honest. Sometimes in our relationships we have such a hard time saying, I was, I was wrong, my perspective was wrong, the way I treated you was wrong. And I have found that prayer is often the thing that leads to my ability to acknowledge when I'm wrong. So I come to God with prayer. I'm open to a new perspective. He shifts my perspective. But there's one other thing that happens in this story I want you to see when the story concludes that is important. It says, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he notices that that they're running to the scene. He rebuked the impure spirit. And he says to the spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him, the little boy, and never enter him again. And I want you to notice the power that Jesus has in this moment. The name of Jesus, the words of Jesus have power in our lives. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And in that moment, it was revealed the power of Jesus to heal this little boy. The power of Jesus over darkness, over sin, over the devil. Jesus stands victorious, and the disciples want to know. In verse 28, after they had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do that, Jesus? We tried, and it didn't work. Why couldn't we drive out the Spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. I want you to circle in your notes that phrase, only by prayer. Sometimes we are trying so many different solutions to solve a problem. We're working so hard. Very few relationships fail because of lack of effort. There are so many times where we are trying but we're trying the wrong way. We're trying in our own power. We're trying without humility. We're trying without God's perspective. But there is a kind of approach that begins with prayer. So I wanna encourage you, I have in mind, there are some of you this week that you are gonna drop to your knees and pray for a relationship with a sense of urgency that you've never prayed before. You're gonna pray for your kids to return home. You're gonna pray for a spouse and that brokenness in the relationship. You're gonna pray for a sister or a brother that's been estranged from the family. But we're gonna begin our approach with prayer. And when we do this, it changes the way that we approach conversations conflict relationships so I start with prayer it's not that I don't do anything else it's not that I don't have conversations it's just that this is the beginning point so I imagine some of you on your knees some of you on your on your bottoms with a journal out writing asking God for intervention asking God to do what only God can do and you may use this phrase phrase Lord I've tried to fix it and it's not working I love that line because this line, I've, I could pray it all day long, every day. I've tried to fix it, and it's not working. My power that I'm throwing at the problem is not solving the problem. And this last line in the prayer, please help me, God. I need your intervention. I need you to work in my relationship with my kids. I need you to work in my relationship with my roommate. Some of you, I need you in my business to heal relationships. I need you, God. Lord, please Help me. And as a loving father, God wants to hear those words from his sons and daughters. I need your help. And one final component of this, as I'm praying, as you're praying, as we're believing for an intervention, for a breakthrough, sometimes we would like to stay on our knees or stay on our bottoms and not move in the direction of the solution. But the fourth and final component of this is to move in the direction of your prayers. So there's a kind of praying that we do with a journal or on our knees, but there's a kind of praying that we do as we're going. It's a walking towards the solution. It's taking these two feet and pointing them in the direction of the solution to move towards the person, to move towards reconciliation, to ask God for intervention. I imagine you sending a text I imagine you picking up the phone. I imagine some of us saying to somebody in our lives, we need to grab a cup of coffee and get together. We need to move towards one another. We need to move towards reconciliation. Jesus was so emphatic on this. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, this verse says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus is saying it's not that he doesn't want you to sing songs and lift your hands. It doesn't mean that the Father doesn't want you to participate in his work in the temple or in the local church. That's not what I'm saying. He's saying what I want you to do is if you get there and you realize that you've got a relationship over here with somebody in your life that is broken and strained. I care so much about that relationship that I would rather have you over a cup of coffee than sitting there listening to a message because that relationship has the power, if it is divided, has the power to ruin generations. And I can imagine some of you in your mind, there's somebody that you know is, you are strained in the relationship or perhaps they're estranged from you or the family. And today there is an invitation from God to leave what you've been doing and walk towards that person for reconciliation. And I want you to hear my voice right now, the urgency in what I'm saying, because this decision to move towards a relationship that is estranged could literally be the difference between you walking your daughter down the aisle or you not walking her down the aisle. This could be the difference between you being at your son's graduation and not being there. This could be the difference between your kids knowing their grandparents and not knowing their grandparents. This could be the difference between somebody in your life that doesn't know God and is not connected to Him, but you and I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to reach out and bridge relationship. In Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, speaking of when the Messiah would come, speaking of when all of this would happen, it says that when He comes, that one would come in the spirit of Elijah and when he comes, he would return the hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers. So the cross of Jesus is a vertical cross that reconciles us to God, but it's a horizontal cross as well that is constantly working towards reconciliation here on planet Earth. The enemy is so vicious in his attempts to destroy families, to destroy relationships between parents and children, to divide what God wants to bring together. This is why in the scriptures, when it's talking about marriage, it says, let what God put together no man separate because God deeply cares about unity in our church, in our families. He cares about us being one. This week, my family is in town. My parents are here and they have all these videos from when I was a little kid. And so they got them all compiled and we're watching them together. And some of it's like really sobering to see myself as an eight year old, like present, open it at a birthday, move it on, what's the next present, move it on. Like it's sobering. And there are moments where you look back and you're like, oh gosh, I can't believe I did that. And then there's some I was like, oh, I was a really cute five year old. I was really cute at that age. At eight, not quite as much, but five, I was cute. But I had a moment, I was laying in bed that next night After watching these videos and I was kind of tracing the different aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and family members and I started thinking about the different people that were in my life when I was a little kid. And cousins that got estranged from their parents and marriages that fell apart and relationships that didn't go right and it just made me think about the snapshots in our lives that sometimes you're in a relationship with somebody and things start to move apart, but we forget the urgency of that little drift that's happening, that small drift. It might just feel like a a, a frustration over what restaurant you go to for lunch after church, but those little drifts are compiling to generations being separated from one another. When the cross of Jesus, all that he did, he died to pay for your sins, and he died to mend your relationships. And to bring you back together with one another to bring us back together so there's a power in this when the church is unified there's a power the watching world looks at god's church and when he sees when the world when they see a unified church it brings people to understand the love of god because if we can love one another with an indescribable self-sacrificial reconciling kind of love It's the greatest testimony that we have to the world of the love of Jesus. So I wanna invite you today to mend that relationship, to send that text, to set up that coffee appointment, to step towards that person. I understand there's a complexity. I understand some of you, you're in an abusive situation and that's a different category. But for most of our situations, that's not what we're dealing with. Most of the time, most of our situations, There are moments where we just need to take the step. We need to pray and move. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me. And right now in our service, we have a prayer team that's gonna come forward, and they're gonna be here at the front as we worship. We're gonna sing two more songs, so i want to invite the prayer team to come. And as we sing, we're gonna sing two powerful songs of worship that God wants to make a way. God wants to turn things around. And I just have in mind, there's some of you, you've got a relationship, You know what that relationship is and you need somebody to identify with you in prayer. I wanna invite you as we sing these songs to come forward to the front to receive prayer, a hand on the shoulder, somebody with you, acknowledging and agreeing with you in prayer for God's healing in that relationship. Father, I pray right now as we worship you that you would bring healing and restoration. I pray right now that you would bring mercy and forgiveness into this house, into your church. And God, I pray that you would help us be a people that love one another with the same kind of love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for reconciliation. And I pray right now that that urgency would sit into our hearts, that we would take steps of obedience, steps towards one another. God, let this be A line in the sand. Let this be an anchor moment that somebody looks back to that changes everything in their relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.